Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And you can tell our friends And they can have my things when we're dead But we gonna live forever Welcome to another episode of The Boys Cast. Boys, yeah, the first podcast exclusively for the boys. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> and now, as you know, New York has been essentially locked down, lock and key, locked up like your girlfriends probably are right now while you're listening to The Boys Cast. And in probably the most unprecedented not-for-the-boys maneuvers in the history of the world, Cuomo said they're going to open it back up to like 10%, you know, capacity or 20% or whatever fucking, you know, whack ass thing where it's like not even, you know, worth doing anyway. But in the least for the boys maneuver in maybe the history of the world, he decided that he was going to open New York back up on Valentine's Day. So you go, maybe the only good part of the whole lockdowns was that, okay, yeah, maybe I don't have to, like, do a holiday like that. I don't have to go to do a fancy dinner at, you know, whatever, some hellhole, and just sit there watching as your girl drinks nine glasses of $18 wines, and they just put, the wine where they put a tiny little drop in, it's 19, and then you go, would you want a menu? And your girl goes, no, I'm good. I don't, I'll just give me the, give me the most expensive one. (laughs) I don't need a menu. Nothing. You know, you, uh, we're gonna get the menu. Just take a. We're gonna take a gander at the prices. I'll tell you that much. But then, it's legitimately the one thing where you go. Ah, at least I don't have to do that. He goes wrong. We're gonna pop her back open for a week and a half just so you can bring your chick to an expensive place. Bitch move of the millennium. Like, oh, we're closing down clothing stores except for select women's gift stores. We're just going to open up a few women's gift stores February 13th and close them on the 15th again. Kill yourself. (laughs) We're going to close down the theaters, actually, in every single town, but we're just going to make an exception the one day that uh, a new revamp of a Freddie Prince Jr. friggin' rom-com from the 90s. (laughs) Paul Rudd plays Freddie Prince Jr. in a rom-com remake, so we are allowing you to do that. And then uh, there's a new... New Expendables coming out in three days, so we're shutting that puppy back down. Insane. I think men should be going on a strike in general. Like, you remember how girls did the sex strike where they're like, we're not going to have sex, and you're like, (laughs) pretty good. Yeah, that's going to work. 
I like the the idea because it was just like some Hollywood actress. Or like, fuck, I can't remember who it was. But she goes, you know, we're going to go on a sex strike until, you know, women have more rights or whatever. I, I'm not sure exactly what rights they wanted. They were like, you know, we want to have access to all the mops and buckets. You know what I mean? And there's certain scenarios where you're like some of the mops are on the high shelf and they need to clean. And they're like, you know, this is sexism that they're building shil- shelves with cleaning supplies too high. The cooking mitts, uh, the cupboard for the cooking mitts is located too high. So we're going on strike until their cleaning supplies can be more easily accessed by the lesser gender. <laughs> I believe I didn't read her pitch, but I believe it was that. And I, you gotta be, imagine being like such a bitch where, and then where you're like, but please, what should I do? What can I do for women so I can get that? Sweet? You'd be like, listen, if you had the audacity to be like, I'm going on a big sex strike, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, well, tonight, I'm, uh, what's the, uh, tonight, I'm calling up the roster. But we have to, me and my friends used to have it the other way around. Because if you're, if you're single and you have like a few chicks on the roster, which I have a, couple friends that you know they cut them out forever and then you have on the other side of the spectrum guys that you know date a girl and they keep her around for the next six years maybe i'm somewhere in between but like when afterwards like if you have a really bad experience with one you eventually go on a thing the eminem song where you go because tonight i'm cleaning off the roster i said i'm sorry stacy said i'm sorry amanda didn't mean to make you cry but tonight i'm cleaning out my roster (laughs) you take their jerseys back the long every girl has a long 69 jersey every girl on the roster so you're cleaning it out that's you go back to the roster though if your girl tries to pull some shit to get her precious cleaning supplies i there's a nothing that i hate more is when them shows do basically you'll watch these programs or movies or whatever and you go and it was written by a guy and you go what a bitch move i'll tell you what you, uh, some people who have been following the cast know that i essentially uh, uh, watching an exclusive diet of SVU, uh, Law and Order, Criminal Minds. Those are the only things I like that it starts, it wraps up, and I can go to sleep. Whereas the other ones, I have to watch ninety-five of them, and I'm not suited for that lifestyle. But Criminal Minds is probably the most one where they <coughs> they have the the black dude. I can't remember pencil thin goatee. I've never seen a thinner goatee. It's legitimately a grain of sand, and. What they do is they make him like the ultimate man. So you're watching this with a chick and they they legitimately bring him in and he has a girlfriend. It's like everything. He's the hero with a heart of gold, super good looking. And he's, you know, talk, he'll he'll talk to the other girls at the office and be like, you know, I just have this problem because, you know, I just want to do something special for her. And, you know, every week I make her dinner, but that's not enough because I'm here at work and I need to. And it's everything is him. It's like revolved around the girl, just the perfect man. So every girl watching that's like, why aren't you that? And you're like, I'm sorry that I don't have a pencil thin goatee. I'm not, I'm not about that life. <coughs> like if you're for the boys and you're a creator, this is one that I was watching recently. He goes, he's like, uh, he was supposed to go on a, a weekend trip with her, and because of work, because you know they're the they their crime solving spree needed needed <laughs> needed his presence. So then he basically goes back to the girl and he like blindfolds her and he brings her to this house and she's like, oh, what is it? And she goes, you know, what would you think about moving in here? I like bought this house for us. And they go, oh, you know, and then he it comes back to work and he's high five and everyone. I don't know if that happened, but the essential thing was and then girls are watching that like, yeah, I want that. I want a guy to like surprise me with a house. And you go, this guy should be ostracized for making movies. This is what it should be. 
You should bring the girl there blindfolded. I have something that's very special for you. And she goes, oh, what is it? And then she looks up. She goes, you bought me a house? You go, the middle floor is yours for the weekend. Airbnb with the chance to extend it. Just let me know if you do want to. I'm only paying for the two days. But the Airbnb, I thought you could use a getaway. So I bought you an Airbnb out of state <laughs> personally. I'm I'm going back. I got to work still. But this whole is yours. There is people in the basement and they have a kid that's pretty loud. So this is what you get. And then you could tone to your girl and be like, I would never get you an out of Airbnb out of state. I would get one in state. And she goes, that's my Ryan. He knows how to please a woman. Bring the girl, you know, and then there was like a, you know, it's the beach and the vacations and all that stuff. They're always bringing these girls places. I want a guy to bring the girl to a cottage and go. And then she goes, oh, my God, this you bought me a cottage. And you go. So I talked to the owners and <laughs> I talked to the owners of the cottage and they said that you could come here whenever you want. I made a deal with them and look beside you. And then she goes, you bought me a car? And you go, look in the trunk. That is not, no, it's an, that's actually an Uber, but look in the trunk. That's a metal detector. I know that you said you were wanted to have a side hustle. So I've organized at this beach for you, anytime you want, you can metal detect on the premises as long as you pay the guy 10%. You're welcome. You know, I'm just looking out for my babe. You, you, said, you spoke, you said, I'm looking for more extra cash, any side hustle. I delivered. Or you bring the girl to an Uber. You bring it and she goes, oh my God, you bought me a car. And you go, no, actually, it's an Uber. I just told the Uber to wait around the corner to surprise you. Get in. I'm taking you to New Jersey because I have a gig for the night and they've purchased a hotel and you can wait in the hotel while I do my show. And that's the type of thing that should be on television. So the boys <laughs> can be sitting with their girl being like, I would never do that for you. And then you make her cereal in the morning and she goes, my hero. Also, the guy calls the oh, fuck. I wish I could remember the guy's name, Tariq or something like that. But in the show, he calls the the girl who's basically all of these shows. And there's gonna be a, lots of weird stuff in this episode. But all of the, every the, the gist of the show, ranty episode. But they <coughs> she, she there's all of these crime shows. They essentially have one uh, person that is like the tech person that essentially solves every crime. They have a team of 12 people and they talk and they prove these profiles. They're like, Ooh, I bet you this guy was the type of guy that was abused by his dad. And they go, Oh, good thinking. And they start analyzing. Like, what if he was abused by his mom too? And like, put that on the board. You're brilliant. They're professional noticers. And then essentially every single time there's this fat chick that's the IT person and then she just ca they call her and she goes yeah I've actually broken into the security and I found uh, a trace on a phone that's at the house and he just bought a knife and uh, and he, the victim was his tutor and you go <laughs> think case closed and you're like well so what should we do with all our profiles of their personality so I think <laughs> like in, every time you're watching the show you go Hey, I've got an idea. Fire 11 of the profiles and have 11 more hackers because she solved every single case. Not to mention, uh, these shows were all better before because the Instagram era has killed a lot of these shows. Because the late, the as soon as they hit like 2004, they're like, "What if you know? You know what kids like technology? We need to get involved." And the latest episode is like this. It was the selfie killer. And this is, you know, six years ago still because I'm behind in the show. But whenever you have whenever you have these shows try to get in the, into the plot lines, they're always ridiculous because there's like, 
you know, what do kids want these days? Likes. And it's a guy, and you know, they'll show two kids and they'll be like, I'll do anything for the likes. And you, it's just like adults writing kids that they have no idea how they speak. And it just has a big, how are you, uh, how you doing fellow kids vibe to it. So they're way better when they're talking about murder, when they're talking about a selfie etiquette for high school kids. Now on the, now back to COVID, my bodega guy, who some of you might have known from being a conspiracy theorist where he said, you know, this is all fake. And then I went down the next day and he had a mask on. I go, what happens? He goes, I watch the news. Complete 180 in 12 hours. By the way, this guy rules, although he's a little too chatty. Um, he, his dad died. And he goes, he, this is what he says to me. He goes, so my dad died. He had, he had COVID. He was fine for two weeks. I brought him to the hospital. They put him on a breathing machine. And then he died within, like, the one day. And he's all like, you know, they fucking killed him. These people, he's back to, he's right back. He's back in the conspiracy vein. And he is fired up. He goes, he was completely fine. He goes, what they do is when they take all these things, it starts breathing for you, and then your body shuts down, sort of like, you know, when you're very busy and you can't get sick, and then as soon as you finish, you get sick. That's how he sees it. So interesting stuff. If you want <laughs> if you want you want to hear the real scoop, Bodega guy in the East Village. He's got some good theories, man. I like these Lebanese guys. You know, they see the world differently. I like it. But the outside dining. So again, there's the final thing I'll I'll say on this. But they, I went to I went to an outside dining, <clears throat> which I won't be doing anymore because I'm moving to Miami for a month and a half, boys. But basically, they it is such a crock of shit. So you go. It is February. So it is freezing cold, a thousand degrees, and they have the heat lamps. And you go, okay, what's the what's the deal with the heat lamp? Probably, this is the worst experience I've had in a while. <laughs> it's fun hanging with friends, but like, <laughs> kind of like jokingly bad. I didn't actually have a bad time, but you you go the heat lamps. <clears throat> They don't work at all. And you go, what's wrong with the heat lamps? They go, oh, we can't turn them up because it'll blow our power source. I go, I mean, then maybe you're not ready to be a restaurant if you can't figure that out. You know, I'm freezing to death. Maybe you need a generator or whatever you got to do. Because I couldn't even eat because of my hands were so cold. And so my friends who were all into food, you know, Danny, Paul, Shuck, and that whole crew, they love food. So they, they have group chats where they go, oh, we're going to eat. And then there's 85, you know, things about what about this place? And someone goes, oh, I looked at the menu and I don't know about this. And I go, and then, so they pick the most expensive place. I go, whatever. It's 200 bucks a person. And I was like kind of editing that day. And I was like, someone else wanted to come and they only had limited spots. So I go, he could have my spot, whatever. And they go, no, um, oh, Ryan looked at the menu and it's too expensive. I go, first of all. There's no scenario where I'm go looking at the menu. You pick a place and I'll show up. Second of all, I'll pay the friggin' price, whatever. I'm not, I'm not, it's not worth the time for me to like, if I say, oh, we should go to somewhere cheaper, then what? Now I'm on the internet looking for places. That's the whole thing I'm trying to avoid in the first place. But the more, so it's a sushi place. The more expensive a place is, the less dead the food is. So I, I like, at least when you get normal sushi, it's essentially dead. This is like, you can, it, 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 it might, the fish were alive 15 seconds ago, it feels like. And there's like scales on it. It's one of those places where they bring you out. So they bring you out 12 sushis. Each of them looks grosser than the next. It's like a, you know, a piece of like an octopus. Just one of them. I'm eating literal slime. One of them's like some rice with a piece of slime on it. Like, I don't even, they just went inside the fish and found the slimiest part and put it on there and acted like it's a delicacy. And, and then they tell you all the things. They go, you know, and your first course, this 
this is something, 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 something. And then, and then they go, and the second one, they get, there's 12 things in every single one they have a whole speech, speech for. And while they're giving the speech, every all of my friends are eat, eating it up hook, line, and sinker. Like they move on to the next one. They go, oh, sorry, uh, what was the, uh, the where, what exactly river did the Shishishima come from? Very, <laughs> everyone's all in. I'm freezing to death. I'm like, okay. Can we just get the next piece? I don't need uh, like a Shakespeare sermon on what slime I'm eating this time. <laughs> Anyways, more expensive it is, the less dead it is. Okay, before I get into something else important, after my personal rants, I am uh, have two dates to announce. So I'm doing, I like I said, I'm going to start doing select dates. And because I'm going to be in Miami for a month, I'm going to be doing probably some dates around that area. But as of now, I just did two to test the waters. We are doing New Brunswick, uh, New Jersey, and Philadelphia, PA. And uh, New Brunswick at the Stress Factory, and Philly's at Helium. And the 17th is New Brunswick, and Philly is the 24th. Go to ryanlongcomedy.com to get the tickets, and that's where the links are. And some more are going to come. And tell your friends, try to get the fucking uh, sold out. I, I was kind of, I guess I could say, like, uh, oh yeah if any of you guys come and they're like sold out that means co cool because i could do more but i guess like if you come and sold out what the fuck do you care if i go somewhere else <laughs> but one funny thing about that is because i had to update my like website for all this stuff and i went to wix i use wix and uh i called the guy because it wasn't working very good i'm like i have this mailing list and where does it go? I'm like collecting these emails for two years <laughs> without email anyone. And then I was like, oh, I'll send an email out to the people from that town. And then I like spent 40 hours on the internet, couldn't figure it out. So I called the guy and the guy goes to my site and he's like, oh, I'm like a big fan. I watch all your videos. And then afterwards sent me an email being like, oh, if you ever need help, like this, <laughs> which I've had a few other times before. But the funniest one was this guy in Toronto so this is right before I moved here and my phone was broken. So my iPhone wasn't working and a whole bunch of other stuff and I need to transfer some up or whatever bullshit, right? I need to unlock it or whatever the hell. Um, and I called the phone company and the guy was like, oh, Ryan Long? Like, yeah, I'm like, I love your videos, blah, blah. And he's like, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to hook it up. And I was like, I'm just asking for you to turn the phone on. So if you don't normally do this, you're probably not doing your job. Because I felt like what I was asking for, I'm like, this has got to be standard protocol. So anyways, that finishes. And then he goes, um, give me your number. I'll call you if there's anything else uh, or if there's anything uh, that I need to or if we get disconnected or for whatever reason, he asked for my number. After we finish, he keeps sending me text messages being like, also, I like do video <laughs> and yeah, can you check out my reels and stuff like this and like, uh, please check out my stuff. And, and then he was like sending me like spec scripts and stuff. <laughs> the guy at Bell Canada, he, uh, he's working the phone lines and then he got me on the line and then started sending me a bunch of his stuff. And I was like, that's pretty, I was, I like respected the hustle. I was like, that's hilarious, dude. But it's pretty funny. Sort of more of a black guy thing to do. Like that kind of hustle. It was, uh, I feel like that's less of like a, uh, a white guy move to have like that level of like grind unless you're like a club promoter or you work in the club industry those guys have the hustle in their bone in their bones okay <clears throat> so what i wanted to talk about and this isn't this is just gonna be a s small portion i know that everyone's sick of hearing about you know gamestop in any sort of way probably and i know i am but i got a lot of people <coughs> messaging me you know why don't you do a sketch on that 
because it's the biggest you know thing in the world and why don't I do a sketch on that and the reason I'm bringing this up is because I thought there was something really interesting about this you know all said and done the aftermath of GameStop you know what does this say and I think there's always something to be said about anytime the whole world's involved in everything it says so much about people's personalities it says so much about like mob mentality all of that sort of stuff in terms of why i didn't do something me and danny so danny who was on the episode last weekend he runs you know this website with all these you know big finance dudes uh called hard money and it was a product of hard times and they're like you know we can fund a thing if you'd really do it and i used to own a part of that company and these are my friends and it was kind of like yeah like all you know and i danny does a million things for me and i was like all right yeah i'll like make your video let's do it um but the more I thought about it, there was nothing that I wanted to say. And it's always, you know, there's an old saying that whenever you find yourself on the side of the mob, you want to reevaluate things. And that's in trading or in art or in culture. And there's a lot to be said about that. And there's a lot of people on the Internet that make sketches where they kind of just take memes and sort of, um, you know, turn that into video form. And, and it's like, obviously, I'm to some degree touching on like hot button issues but i'm always think that i have an original take before i or or at least a take that i can make better than no one's ever made before before i start but with the hedge fund you go i i saw so many things that just started to feel like finance man bad and i think that a lot of people probably on that listen to this are on that side so it's probably not the most popular take to kind of but like i'll start with this if i was doing stand-up right now Way funnier would be to come out and be like, oh, my hedge fund just got blasted. Like, you know, I'm pro hedge fund. You fucking losers trying to take me and my friends down. Like being the side of the hedge fund is clearly the funnier take than being another person with the pitchforks being like these finance guys are idiots. So there wasn't really a great take that everyone wasn't yelling on the Internet and also didn't know what they're talking about. So everyone's kind of like yelling something they don't want to talk about. And it was like. People can be right, but still not know what the fuck they're talking about. So it's like, you know, Trump's done a million things and everyone that's like, Trump's the worst in the world. Like, he's wrong. Sometimes he was wrong and sometimes he wasn't. But like when he was wrong, when they said he's wrong, they still don't know. That's just their base position. So there's a lot of people that are just like, the hedge funds are bad, but they didn't really know what was going on. So the probably the, the best take would be, you know, that, all of these companies do all this sort of manipulation all the time. And it was like, you know, they had the the media on their side and all of that stuff. And it's like all of this kind of stuff that was being called like market manipulation is the shit they do all the time. Like they love fucking short squeezing people. Like that's like, you know, uh, classic like hedge fund shit. But even that, it was like, that's been made. It hasn't, maybe been made that properly but it's also like it was just too in line with the the common thing that everyone's already saying and i thought danny made like the best point uh recently when we were talking he said that you know this story has been presented as david Verth goliath and it was you know the redditors versus the hedge funds but the actual truth of what happened and it's you know you can kind of say this the little guy always gets fucked but it's like that's not really what it was by the end of it, it was fucking hedge fund versus hedge fund. Like, if you look at the amount of money pouring into GameStop, like, that was a ton of hedge funds. And, like, he's like, I know, a, 
you know, people like in that world. And a lot of those people took like huge positions in GameStop probably early on because they're monitoring it, the technical analysis earlier than other people. So it's like, it, you know, the the way that anything gets appropriated by the big guys, it's like, you know, the same way that people will be like, oh, you know, woke, you know, this and that and white people are bad. And then next thing in trans people and the next thing, you know, Coca-Cola is doing that ad. It's the same thing with this. Like all the big money wasn't just going to sit this out and be like, no way. Like they love short squeezing each other. So it's there's no like on top of that. Most the like so many people retail people I know like most people that I invested like eventually lost <laughs> lost money, but you know who didn't lose money? Huge funds that invested, you know Chamath, Elon Musk. Like if any of those people got in and out early, early on. And I did uh, I did the Barstool guys KFC his show last week, and I thought it was funny because they were calling Portnoy a coward because <laughs> he, but because it is true. It's like if you go all in on something, he basically said like I'm the guy, diamond hands, all the stuff. And then when he said he sold, it was almost like once you make it such your identity, it was almost be better to just go down with the ship because at least then you know he could sell some shirts that say you know GameStop forever, and he could probably make his money back just on the publicity. Whereas instead now he lost his money and he gets called like a traitor, so it probably wasn't the move. But it's important to make the right take, but only if it like aligns with the funny take, in my opinion. If it's the le if it's probably the least funny take, but it's the most right take, like I think sometimes you sit that one out. And the other part of it is it just showed me like again how much people will just switch with the mob regardless of their opinion, regardless of what they said in the past. You know, when the the Reddit Discord got taken, you know, down for a second or when there was like censorship going on, the, the uh, people that you could scroll back a week and see that all of these people were like super pro censorship and the amount of people that have no problem just completely switching because that's where the energy is. Like everyone thinks something and they go, think that I go, it's funny. Like my brother called me and he was like this GameStop thing. And I was like, he's not into that. And I go, you know, this is going to drop in 10 seconds because it's you could tell when and a lot of times I was saying to people with like stocks and I'm not like, you know, some professional trader, but I, you know, know this stuff to some degree well. And it was a lot of times it's people like, is it going up? I mean, and the better question to sometimes ask yourself, whether it be, you know, crypto, whether it be any of this stuff is like, like when my brother called me, I was like, do you think there's another million people dumber than you? Or like heard about this last, like you just heard about this. You're just starting an account and you're just putting money in. Do you think that tomorrow there's a new batch of you? And that's like, the you know, anyone that's and maybe there's other people that are, you know, accessing more capital and there's some other money trickling in. But there's a lot of that, too. It's like, do you think there's another group of people that's dumber <laughs> than you are? I go, you're retarded with this stuff. Is there someone else more retarded? Because if not, if you're the last fucking retard in, you're the guy that's holding the bag every single time. Right. And. People are dumb. And that's why it's like, uh, I think there is, you know, this like hipster element to what I'm saying. It's kind of like, to some degree, like a hipster take when you're like, my general instinct when everyone's like, GameStop, like my my intrinsic stomach is like, it's funnier to be on the other side. <laughs> Just immediately. Like that's, oh, that's how I'm, like every bone in my, every comedic bone in my body is like, don't join this. <laughs> But I, you know, it's still kind of funny, but like to make it my whole thing, it just kind of felt like that from a comedic standpoint. But I, I posted this video just to show the extent to which you go, yeah, people are stupid. I posted a video on TikTok and I said, you know, some of you might have seen 
uh, me from my comedy videos. But what you don't know is that I've been running a hedge fund on the side just for fun with some of my buddies. And this is not fun, funny what you're doing. I know you guys are all having a laugh, but in reality, this is hurting me. And it's again, I still I'm a full time comedian, but in like my five or six spare hours a week, me and some of my friends, we do run this hedge fund just for fun. And I posted that. And some people were like, ha ha, F you. Uh, down with, uh, you know, down with hedge funds or whatever. And then some people will be like, oh, what? Are you crying because your tricks aren't working? And then some people will be like, I'm not sure if he's serious. And I was like, this is crazy that you potentially think that it's, it's possible that I'm like a, a full-time comedian. And in my spare time, I run a billion-dollar hedge fund. And... Like, in my mind, I was like, you know, maybe there'd be one actual moron that doesn't know what that is. But I'm talking, the like, most comments were a debate other whether I'm being serious or not. And you go, oh, right. <laughs> and so, you know when people go, oh, why do people vote against their interests? Like, you know, vote against their self-interest? You go, you should be more concerned about how do these people feed themselves? Now, how are these people capable of holding down a job without showing up at their work with their shirt backwards and they showed up with the wrong work, trying to start their car? And then, oh, crap, I'm on the bus. And then turning to some guy on the bus, telling them their new fact. Did you know Ryan Long, the comedian, also runs a hedge fund? That's the world that we're living in. And that's why, like, when you see, like, videos and stuff, it's like so hard to make good stuff because what are the biggest bands? You know, the Foo Fighters are some garbage. What are the biggest TV shows? Big Bang Theory or some garbage. Like people are really dumb. So it's like you really have to trick people into liking good things. It's kind of why I want to like sometimes with the, the two shirt videos I do probably do good because someone that's dumb <laughs> can be like, oh, that and that. And then I can like. I can trick people that are dumb to understand that and share it. And then people that aren't dumb, I can squeak in real comedy. So it's like, I, and then I can beat it over the head for the dumb idiots. <laughs> and then sneak in comedy for the fans. That's why the best, the funniest videos I do don't do good. That's why it's even the, I did the feminist, uh, or the feminist cover band for COVID last week, which I think was one of the funniest things I do is that thing. And it was like everyone that I think is like cool and funny was messaging me being like, that's fucking hilarious. But it didn't do that well because it's like complicated for dumb idiots, I guess. Like what the joke was, because I guess there was like two layers, which is one layer too many. That's why you have to do one for you and one, one for you and the fans and then one for the world. And you kind of go back and forth on that. Most famous comedians I watch, you know, most Netflix specials I watch, I go... Holy shit, this fucking sucks. <laughs> you know, people share the video and they don't even get it. The amount of times people quote quote my jokes and they'll go, ha, 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 and then quote the joke and I go, that's not what I said. <laughs> that wasn't what I said. And if I did say that, it wouldn't be funny. <laughs> like they misheard it. So when I looked at the thing and when I, 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 even that KFC Barstool guy, I saw him post this because there was a big thing about the Cohen guy and whatever. And then he posted, he goes, technically, this Cohen guy's, you're pointing your anger at the wrong person because he's not involved in the hedge fund and, not in the, and whatever. You can kind of think what you want on whether that's true. <laughs> but my point is, 
is there was a thousand comments like you're a traitor. I just unsubscribed. Like <laughs> I've liked you forever. And now that's the end of that. Like, you know, unsubscribed, which I, I've had that before too. It's like, I've been a fan of you for two years. Unsubscribed. Like some fan you are. <laughs> if, I mean, if that's the type of fan you are where it's like, I'm always one sentence away from you disappearing. You're watching it like one foot out the door. Like me in a relationship in my 20s. You go, some fan, I followed you for three years, but this one tweet is that's the end of my tenure at the KFC fanship. But the point, my point was, it all just felt like finance meant bad. I'm like, but a lot of these people don't know what they're talking about the same way that it was with Trump. It felt like, and not to say that that's still not the right, I think it's right. The, fuck these hedge funds. That was hilarious. The GameStop thing fucking ruled. <laughs> but it was like, it's, it got appropriated by idiots, and that's probably the best way to describe it. Just the same way a lot of things do. They start kind of cool and funny, and then it just became too much of a fucking gong show. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is involved, and you're like, you're the problem. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But he, he got killed on that. And it was kind of reminding me of that, you know, that Lou Perez video where it was like, stop making me defend Trump because someone will be like, he did this and this and this. And you go, well, he didn't do that. And they go, you love Trump. And that's what he said. He goes, well, that's not really true. And they go, well, you love hedge. What are you hedge fund fucking? Are you bending over? And he goes, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I just saying that's not true. And I think that's my least favorite arguing tactic ever. And this is one to watch out for. And it's, the best way to combat arguing tactics that are annoying is to point them out. But this is what I was arguing about. And th this is, I'll tell you the most way they do it is the trans stuff will get jammed down your face and then you'll argue with it. And then they'll go, Oh, why do you care so much about trans stuff? Like you, you can't stop talking about it. And you go, no, I don't give a shit about trans stuff. I give a shit about like pinning down what the definition is. You know what I mean? And so you're like, no, I don't give a shit about that. It's like you, you're you're saying factually something. You're like, oh, you know, let's say <laughs> there's 90 genders or whatever. And you go, well, is there proof of that? And they go, why do you care so much? Like, you know, they gaslight you into being like, oh, you, all you talk about is this. And you go, it's not that I'm talking about this. <laughs> I'm talking about the fact that you're being illogical. So the conversation I was having, and so those are two examples, but the one I was having, and it's a remedial thing, and but it makes you get hyped up. So someone, it was a chick, and I won't air them out because I'm probably going to be mean about it. But essentially they said, you know, those boy bands in the 90s, like Fallout Boy. And I was like, I mean, they're not really like a Fallout Boy. They're a, they're, <laughs> Fallout Boy is not really a boy band. Like to me, boy bands is, you know, Backstreet Boys, uh, you know, NSYNC, 98 Degrees. And then she was like, how are they not a boy band? Is it not a bunch of boys like in a band? And they're like kind of like a teeny popper thing. And I go, okay, well, let's pin down the definition of what a boy band is. Like to me, a boy band would be one in most 90% of the cases, they write their own songs. Like you try to Socratically define that. You go, 
did they were put together i would say that's one way that there's a blind band they were generally put together but none of these are rules so if you go socratic you can go okay i can point out situations so what does make a boy band and i go but follow boy i go how are they any different from every band and they were pointing out things like well you know like they're like a teeny bobber band i go what band isn't like it's so is led zeppelin a boy band now there's all that stuff applies to them too so it's like, you know, we can pin down what it is. And, th and then basically it got to me like, okay, you're so obsessed with, I'm, going, I'm like, follow boy. I hated that shit. I was, you know, by the time that stuff came out, I was like 19 year old trying to be a cool punk rock guy. Like to me, I was like freaking follow boys. Like I was that, but it's like, they bully you into like defending them. I'm like, they're not a freaking boy band. They're a band. And then before you know it, they're like, oh, I'm sorry that I called your favorite band a boy band. They go, Ryan got all fired up because I called follow boy a boy band. I go, no. I'm fired up because you're trying to redefine what a boy band is. <laughs> so I find people do that with like everything. If you look at it from first principles, you go, what does define it for you? And then they'll go, you know, a bunch of boys. And you go, well, it's not that. So your definition's wrong. Four people that are in a band isn't a boy band. And you go, girls like them. Okay, so every band on the Warped Tour is a boy band by your definition. They go, uh, yeah. And you go, okay, well, it's not. <laughs> but anyways, they do that with everything. It's, here's what I think, rigid. And if you, and you, and you're, de you're arguing with the definition and they act like you care about the thing. And I feel like that's a common thread that happens in, uh, the last long time. And then if they go one above that, they go, oh, you're just being difficult and argumentative. And I go, you're just trying to bulldoze me with fake facts and trying to make me uh, like complicit in them. Like, what should, I, what, what, what should I do if you go, should I just go, okay, you're right. Is that what I should do? Or I should just go, oh, I guess I'm wrong. Or do I say agree to disagree on a definition? There's, there is truth here. So it's like, if, if I'm not going to talk about it, then, you know, what are we doing? It's like they're taunting you. <laughs> they taunt you. They go, yeah, you know, uh, girls are actually uh, better at math than guys. Anyway, see ya. And you go, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Is there any proof of that? And they go, oh, you're always arguing. This guy cares so much about math. <laughs> so that's one thing that I noticed. <clears throat> and I, I had a funny one that I saw. So Clubhouse is popping off. I know, like, Tim Dillon loves Clubhouse. <laughs> I saw you did a set there, and I thought it was pretty funny, but he posted it. I went on for two seconds, and because uh, everyone was telling me to go on. I went on for two seconds. I go, no, nah, I'm probably good on this until it gets really. I go, I, I have sh things to do. I do an hour of, you know, an hour or two of talking on my podcast every week, and then I do all sorts of things. I, I do enough talking and saying my things. I don't need to be. He, he made a good point. He's like, Brett Weinstein's up there 11 hours a day. <laughs> don't you run a company? Or Eric Weinstein, whatever one. You're like, don't you have stuff to do? He's on Clubhouse 95 hours a day. I thought, I was like, he kind of nailed that. But um, I, my friend did a comedy show, that one that they did. And there was this guy. <clears throat> and someone went up and said a joke. And the, it was a girl. And the gist of the joke was, I'm so hot. That if uh, it was a black girl, he goes, if I'm so hot, if a dude don't like me, motherfucking Edward's gay. You know, that's what <laughs> that was the gist of the joke. Some other black guy got offended, started his own room or got called up into another room. So now some dude that's just like, you know, if you look at his thing, it's like a woke, you know, black dude or whatever. He's a, you know, a slam poet, probably. <laughs> that's the thing. Thing. Capitalism. The problem. 
racial inequality. <laughs> so he's he's this, and then he gets called up so they you can join people's conversations. Now he's talking to three thousand people, and he's giving his big sermon about how this comedian was problematic. And I go, yeah, the world doesn't need this. <laughs> An app where you bring a bunch of people up to complain and you give them a platform of four thousand people. I was like, miss me with that. And it's like, you know, he was like telling his whole speech, like shit that you've heard a million times is basically like comedy. The reason for, you know, comedy is supposed to help this. And there's one good guys and one bad guys. It's kind of like that, you know, the meme that goes around a lot right now in the left wing circles is because a lot of people have been catching on to the idea of being like, yeah, I'm just not on your fucking teams, dude. I don't have a jersey on. And it makes them feel like embarrassed that they are. So they have to be like, make these memes and stuff where it's like one side's like, I just want to help people. And the other side's like, I think black people should die. And then it's like you and, the, and then the center is being like, these people are equal. And they're like, oh, this is you. You think these two are equal. And it's like, I mean, clearly, I don't see either of them like that. <laughs> like when I, yeah, I don't see the right as, I'm a white supremacist. And I don't see the left as, I'm just here to help. Who needs a hand? So it's like, yeah, you're right. When you mischaracterize what the people are doing, it's easy to be like, oh, oh anyone that's not on our side is dumb idiot. But you go, and a lot of these people are comedians because that's my whole fucking network. And, uh, you know, a lot of these people are fine, whatever. But you watch them post these stuff and you go, listen, if you take the top best working comedians in the world right now, what percentage of them support a political party? You know, and again, if you're in podcasting, if you're in real life, there's a lot of things where if you're a radio guy, yeah, there's no real, you kind of, to some degree, if you're in political radio at all, like you kind of either have to be this or that. That's just what it is. There's a lot of jobs where it's, you know, benefits you to be on one side if you're going to be in Silicon Valley, like whatever. But like you go, comedians, what percentage of the top, who's the top 10 working comics right now? And you know, you can even include the older people, but you can even include like, you know, not the Dave Chappelle's of the world. Like who in their fucking come up in the last 10 years, who's the people with big audiences that are killing it? Which one of those people is like a has proud, you know, Democrat or proud Republican in their handle. Very fucking few. You know, how many of them are waving a flag? You know what I mean? Telling you you have to vote. How many of the funniest people are doing that? Honestly, I, I can name a, a lot that used to be good. I can name a lot of comedians that used to be really good. That used to be funny. That are telling you a lot about their politics. <laughs> And I, I don't even have a problem with them telling you about your politics, but the the like the religious uh, the religious support of one side. How many? No matter what the team does, that my friend is called a soldier. And honestly, thank you for your service, but that's not very funny. Okay, the guy at the back of the class making jokes. That guy's you know has a lot to say about who's the class president. In what world? Not been my experience. When I was in anything, when I was in school, when I was in sports band, the guy who has a lot to say about who enforces the rules, who does it? Who gets to, who he gets to be? Nothing. You can be that guy. It's not the funniest guy to be. That's not been my experience. Anyone you see out there, if you think this is a fun, you know, they go, this person, you see them. We need to do this. This is what we need. 
This is how we save the world. Everyone needs to get on board. This congressman's bad. And then someone, and you went to high school with them and go, do you remember that person? And you go, yeah, I remember them. My gut's just recovering from all the laughs they gave me. Has that been anyone's experience? That that person's the funniest person you know? And I'm not saying comedy is important. No one needs this. But do you want to be the best or not? Look at the stats. <laughs> what percent? So, someone sent me this article. because I, I And it actually, it was something that I've got a few articles and I've seen this pop up myself. So, I didn't want to talk about it. Because it goes to this idea that anything that's a discrepancy is a problem. And the title of the article is Women Grossly Underrepresented in the Music Industry. And I found a couple of them that are kind of saying the same thing. And the gist is, okay, let me tell you the first sentence because it goes, large study finds men release more songs than women and are signed to record labels more often. And first of all, you go, well, there's your answer. (laughs) Women are largely underrepresented. First sentence, study finds women release less songs (laughs) because of men. The... You know, and I'm, you know, I'm a big proponent of the idea that uh, obviously some genders want to do different jobs less. But it's making me laugh. The idea that, you know, in the utopian world, perfect world, the future, you know, the future, every job is equally representative of everything. Every, you know, the doctors, whatever the demographics of the country is, 20 percent black, 10 percent this, 50 percent women on the nose, on the dot. And until then, the fight's not even close to over. And Jewish people are out of hedge fund jobs pretty soon if they start (laughs) that catches on. But so if you have that and you go, okay, let's just stick to men and women for this. So let's say you have two jobs. One is music and one is is entered and one is uh film so music and film so right now we, we need 50 percent of women in both of them and obviously it's even more complicated when it's you know let's actually let's go uh music and math so music and mathematicians so you start right now you have you know a, a, way too many women in music than mathematicians so we like we need to fix this because there's not many. So then we take women from the nail salon and math, you know, music. We take women from the ma- the music department and we trade them for guys for math. So now you have, now you and then, so a lot of girls. We do all these incentive programs and now girls draw join the math program. And now we have too many girls in math. So we're like now they're like now music has a problem. And so it's literally like filling up glasses of uh, water and you need them to be exactly equal. And you're going back and forth. <laughs> Every time there's a little more, you're like, now this one's sexist. You go, math is sexist. And you go, oh, take people from the music part. Now you go, now music's sexist. <laughs> so that's what's going on with a thousand industries. If you, if literally, if you took all of the women and put them all in jobs, and then some of the guys started raising the kids. Now they'd have to be like, why is stay-at-home uh, parenting overrepresented by men? They have a better deal. It's just like, no matter what one. So it's an unsolvable problem. It's just, you're playing whack-a-mole. So you whack some women over there. <laughs> Get over there, women. You whack some women over there. And then now the thing you whack them from doesn't have enough women. So you got to whack them back over there. So the whole thing in that is just so funny because... It's an unsolvable problem. And I've said this before, but it's not about solving problems. It's about being the one that solves problems. 
And also, I hold the opinion that the number one thing is when you talk about anything like this, like women, and you go, there's not enough you know, women in music. I go, listen, I don't want to hear a peep about privilege. I don't want to hear a peep about sexism from someone who works less hard than me. Because it's like, well, we don't know, actually. And you go, I could make a case that there's some things working the other way around. But more importantly, if you want to go, it's easier for you. I go, we don't actually know because we only know a scenario where I've worked really hard and you haven't. So it's actually hard to make a comparison. You're like, yeah, get those hours up. Put in your 80 hours a week. You make 50 or I think I released 70 videos last year, including street stuff. You know, you released 75, you know, high produced videos last year. Get that you independently produced, directed, editing, produced. All of it was yourself. Did the color, did the, do all of it. You do that. And then let's have a conversation about if we're doing the same. On top of that, the same quality. Are they as good? So what? And you go, and then we could talk about the other things. But it's like, when you're working less hard, when you're releasing less songs, as your title says, it's hard to even really entertain that conversation. And I feel like a lot of the people that I hear these things from don't work all that hard. <laughs> so that that's out of the out of the the gates. Now they say the author he studied and analyzed four factors: sonic features, genre, record label affiliation, and collaboration network to identify the gender of an artist without taking vocal pitch into consideration. And he said, ideally, someday we'll define a female way of producing music that could help women advance better in this industry and support a broader range of talent in the global music scene. So even, okay, so I'll talk about those two things separately, but the first part where he says we've done uh, a study, because this was actually kind of interesting. They've done a study on the differences between men and women, how, they, the, how their music sounds, and they used... The first part, you go sonic features, genre, like all that stuff. That is kind of interesting. The difference, the music that women make and the difference, the music. But then they go record label affiliation and collaboration. And you go, I mean, okay, so like, you know, some pop star label has more. Uh, you're like, hmm, they were on the acoustic pop girl network. Like, and we've cut type in our calculations and found out that that's one in the girl category as opposed to they were on, you know, a, a metal label. And it's like, we're going to say that might be a, okay. Well, no shit. So that doesn't really say anything, you know, they, and then we saw they were on Def Jam. So it's like, it, it actually, you can tell whether their gender, gen, gender is more likely to be just by the label. It's like, yes, if they're on Def Jam, it's more likely to be a guy. So that doesn't really say anything. But more importantly, when they do these studies, you kind of are like, if you just removed all your bullshit, there's something interesting there. You're like, hey, we can actually tell the difference between what men make music and how women make music. And here's like some interesting things about it. But then they go and you go, oh, that's interesting. You go. So the point is we need to change that so we can have more women. You go, what? Hey, you go. Oh, that's where you're going with this? Like, if this was just a study, hey, the differences of how women and men wake women, you go, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. And you go, yeah, and that's why we need to redesign the entire music industry from the bottom up. You go, oh, that's what your point was. Got it. And the second part, ide ideally we'll identify a female way of producing music. <laughs> you know, I don't know what that would be, having someone do it for you. Like a female way of producing music, such as having your uh, career funded by your rich husband. <laughs> female way of producing music. 
I am. I do have to say, I'm probably doing the least charitable interpretation of this. <laughs> but you know, it's the same thing as my argument before. It's an article about the entire music industry needs to shift, and you're like, come on. And they're like, why do you care? They're not saying that. I'm putting words in their mouth. But they say, you know, we need a female away. And you go, okay, listen. There's probably very few things I know better than, like, the music industry and the comedy industry. And producing music is 90% sitting in your basement. 90%. Sitting in your basement in a dark room making beats. So why do you think there needs to be more of those or girls? And you're because you're like, well, look at these four rich ones. And you're like, well, girls, I want to be a rich beat maker. Okay, when I was growing up in Ajax, Ontario, Canada, do you know how many girls I know that made beats? Zero. I didn't know one. That's a big network of people. I knew zero. Do you know how many men I know that made rap beats? Every single one. <laughs> Every guy. There wasn't a guy. I don't think there's a single guy in the greater Ajax area that didn't also make rap beats. Every single one. And a lot of those people went out to be successful. And then once they did, you go, this is freaking sexist. Some famous people came out of my... So my best friend growing up, one of my like two or three best friends growing up, his younger brother only actually got into making beats like probably when he was uh, like grade 11. Like I didn't even know, you know, I've, you know, he was like my, one of my best friends. I slept at his house a hundred times. Didn't know that his brother was even into this. And I was in a band. That was my whole thing. And we never even connected like on that thing. Right. Um, so after after high school, when I was already gone, because he was two years younger, he started getting successful with his beats. And his name's T-Minus. And he has, like, a bunch of Grammys now. He made uh, Drake's The Motto. He made, like, all the, like Ludacris's big first hits. and Or not big first ones, but, like, a bunch of Ludacris hits. And all these huge rappers. And I think uh, The Game and Lil Wayne and all these people. And he's just a guy. And he was, like, a kind of, like, a bit of a video game black guy. You know what I mean? A little bit of that. And he would kind of, uh, I guess he just sat in his basement. They were both pretty tech savvy. He sat in his basement, made beats forever, you know, sending the right people, whatever it is, made it work. But it's like, you have to put in the thing first. <laughs> I'm, most people that I've seen kind of do do well, and I not him because I didn't know he was into this, but most people that I've seen do well in beats and music, it's like, they fucking are on it, dude. You hear them and they're like, that's their whole world. It's like, how okay, how would we do this? It's like their whole world, they go to sleep, wake up thinking about it. Not an ideal way to live. Go to sleep, wake up. It's that Eminem thing where it's like, you kind of lose track after a while too. When you're like, oh, I, oh, I just did my pad. I just have my notepad. And you know, you're just, you're too focused. All you do is sit there with your friggin' notepad. I think that's what Machine Gun Kelly would not like said in that song, but too focused. That's your life sit in a basement making beats 18 hours a day and you're like we need more girls doing this and you're like well actually we don't need more girls doing that we want girls to be like skip that part <laughs> so they say this inequality represents an unsolvable problem that's probably true that it's unsolvable not true that it's a problem and tackling the problem is key to promoting artistic innovation no proof of that it's the same thing when they say 
you know, it's better to have more diversity. And you go, no proof of that. If I was in a group of, you know, I've been in a group of all white people. I've been, a, been in a group of some white people, some black people. And I've been in a group with all different races. I've never once been in a group with like a certain race and being like, we need more other races. It's not better, but it's not worse. I've never said we need less of another race either. It's the same. It depends on the type of person. You know, the, the idea that it's like, oh, yeah, there's like it's objective. You just, you know, agree with that premise and you go, no, I don't think that in any scenario, if I'm with my group of friends, if we could sub someone out for someone with different skin color, that's somehow better or worse. <laughs> so I think it's the same thing where they go, this is, you know, this problem and it will be better for artistic innovation. And you go, according to what? Like, in what scenario have you shown that where you go, hey, we took all these bands and we kicked out 30% of the guys and we replaced them with girls and they were all more successful and made better music? I mean, has that ever been proven? You go, you just say things. <laughs> you go, it'll be better. Why? <laughs> Women. And they say a little bit more on it. They say, they built an algorithm that was able to randomly pick a song and tell with astonishing accuracy more than 90% of cases whether it was created by a male or female artist. Again, I would be impressed if you didn't include their label and stuff like that because those are those are cheating. Because if you actually focus on the music, I'd be like, that's pretty cool. Once you start focusing on things like, and that we factored in whether they were wearing a dress or not, and we were actually able to tell. <laughs> Not anymore. A lot of dudes in dresses. Uh, and <laughs> I would like if they focused on the music. They said, we created an algorithm that could tell if it was girl music. Factors like, you know, it was more likely to be girls music if it was factors like, it wasn't quite finished. <laughs> they, they needed a collaborative environment. Uh, if, <laughs> if, 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 it, if it wasn't quite done because they didn't have enough support. Uh, factors like the song sucked. <laughs> we were able to tell that it was written by a girl using factors like whether the song sucked or not. <laughs> my family's full of super talented female musicians. So most of the people in my family are, I have like uh, younger cousins that like was, vo was the number one jazz uh, person of the year, like under 20 and all this stuff. So I, I come from a, a super talented family of, female musicians more better than me like I wasn't I was pretty good at drums but and you know making music but it's more like that was just the music isn't about being good you know I was fine whatever but it's more just like being a successful band is like how many bands suck it's like we were cool and we, you know I, I'm pretty good at like writing songs but the actual instrument part like do you remember when like Sum 41 was first famous like they can barely play they're kids you know so the, I have, like, virtuosos in my family. Like, you know, perfect pitch at three years old, like, playing piano at four years old, like, autistic people. And it is kind of funny that I was probably the most, like, successful out of them, which is which is hilarious since, like, you know, they could play circles around me. But it's not, you know, it's not always about that. <laughs> but again, why is that? It's because it's a different thing, you know? C pop culture and bands it's not that it's just being good at music but to continue with this next label some of the things they say what do janet jackson lauren hill mariah carey have in common they're three time they're three of the only six women who have been nominated for producer of the year awards entire in their entire 59 year history of the grammys and again it's like this is something that guys do more but 
producer, th a lot of these women that you even mentioned were producers in the way that Tom Hanks is a director or the way that Sh Shia LaBeouf is a screenwriter. Like they got very popular and I don't know about everyone, but I know for sure there's some of that with this stuff. It's like some of these people, it's like, yeah, they got really famous and they're like, I could produce my own record. Cause yeah, you've been around it enough now and you kind of like, I could direct. I've may have been star of a bunch of films, but it's like, there's a difference between that and someone that from the time they were 14 years old was sitting in their basement being like a producer. It's a, kind of a different thing. Like the Bruno Marses of the world. They say, so this is the first person account. And they say, when she got into music, she didn't want to just be the singer. She wanted to be full control of the creative process. That's why she decided to enroll in sound engineering and music production course. I just knew I wanted to be making beats that I have control over, not just singing and songwriting, she says. I wanted to be able to com be completely self-sufficient and make the whole track myself. Her determination to be completely independent continued after she set out to record her debut album, All That We Know. And you go, this is literally every guy I know. It's the most condescending shit where it's like, this girl decided she's going to make her own music. You're like, that's every every single person in my whole world from the ages of 22 to 25. It's like, or, or sorry, uh, eight, you know, 14 to 25 or whatever was like, yeah, I'm going to be the type of guy that makes music and spend all my time doing that. And it's like, yeah, we didn't hire producers. We made our own music and I've recorded a bunch of my own demos and I have all the sort of software. By the time I was like 16, I had, you know, you $500 worth of software. You could record like albums. We did an album in our garage. Like I was doing, he's like, yeah, just like, and I didn't pat myself on the back. There was no article being like, and I get, it's like, you know, this is the Hollywood version, but it's like, when they make it about girls, it's like, a girl was made her own beats it's like you can't make up your mind whether these people need your pity <laughs> Ooh, good job like they're retarded or it's like yeah i mean that's what everyone does if you want to be make it nowadays you're definitely better off to be able to make your own fucking things i edit all my own videos like ryan you know i could go to the, i could do this interview and be like i just knew that if the industry controlled what i do that it would get Worse and worse, and I'd have less of a chance. So I knew that I had to download editing software, and I had to figure out how to edit. It's like, yeah, I just figured out how to edit. It's like, grow up. It's what it is. Yeah, you want to be a friggin' musician? Yeah, you'd probably understand the basics of edit a software, especially if you're going to be like a pop musician. Definitely that would help. <laughs> oh, look at them. It's I got my podcast, Mike. Oh, look at them. I knew that I... I saw this with a lot of the comedians that um, after in the pandemic, there was a lot of these like articles, you know, promoting, promoting, you know, people from the special groups. And they would say things like they would go, you know, this person's not sitting down in the pandemic and they would do like a big profile on them. And then it was, you know, someone with 500 Twitter followers and they would go, I knew that when the pandemic started, I needed to keep going. So I knew that this couldn't be the end. So, so I decided to start a Zoom comedy show to let the laughs die. So once a week, I hire four people to do a Zoom comedy show. We aren't letting the pandemic stop us. And they're like, well, some people are doing nothing. This person stood up and paved a new way to do. And you go, nothing's happening here. <laughs> it's not. And that's not even what's happening. What's happening is your identity got taken away. They're like, you can't be a comic anymore. You're like. But I still want to be a comic, so you do this. Like everyone else. Every comic tried some dumb version. Of, every producer tried some dumb online version. It's like, I'm changing the game. And it's the media's problem, you know. This girl did a fucking interview. I'm sure she's cool. Maybe she's, I don't know if she's cool, but you know, whatever. Sure, she's fine. And the media comes. It's like, tell us your struggles as a woman. 
You bought microphones? Do you went to a, a course on music instead of going to normal school? You were able to, your parents paid for you a course to go to music school? That you're, you're a genius. You are fucking changing the game. Game changing. Whereas if they just talked about normal stuff, like, you know, what kind of, what are your influences? What's your thoughts? Whatever the fuck, normal stuff. Or even make take the girl part out of it. You don't have to be so condescending. But these make these people look like freaking such charity cases. I hate when people give me the, I was doing, uh, I, I was at this conference and <laughs> I thought it was funny. This guy was telling me his, his uh, story of his company. And he was like, it has to do with like graveyards. And he was like, Oh yeah, well I know I need to start this company because my dad was died when I was young, and I wasn't there to provide him the right funeral. So I knew that the, I go stop, give shut up. <laughs> I don't need your press statement. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here with this. You started a company because you wanted to make money, and now you've written this. I knew uh, every day I woke up thinking of tombstones, and I knew that I needed to provide the perfect funeral arrangements so someone didn't have to go through what I go shut up. <laughs> I'm not the press. When you're on CNN, you know, when you're doing your tech startup interview, how it started with what's-his-face, then you can tell your sob story. That can be on your your about photo, on your about page of your website. I'm not listening to this, this uh, what do you call it, drivel. <clears throat> also, when I did, was in Toronto, I did a, um, a, a branded doc. Uh, I, I would do a lot of these. When I was kind of popping off with the video stuff and I was doing all the music videos and the TV shows, a lot of times, because I worked in this company and I kind of had a name, I would get people to ask me to direct these, like, branded spots. Because that, like, branded spot world, the directors kind of, like, they try to attach directors to the project that kind of have a name, too. Because then they go to the brand and they go, we've got this director who's, like, you know, made these TV shows and we've got this per So, they, you know, they try to put a package together and I was kind of, like, part of a few of these packages. And one that we were supposed to do, but it ended up getting canceled because it was, like, a mess, was about this female producer. And the whole... St I had all these meetings about it and it was, like, a, you know... I, I won't say the company, but the gist of it was... We were going to film her, like, going through her day-to-day -day life, and it was going to be inspired. Basically, the videos I make now, but for real. <laughs> and she was going to be going through her day-to-day -day life, like, on the bus, and it was going to show her how her life is. And it was all about, like, you know, how how being a girl, you know, in making beats as a girl. And it was just like, this girl? And you go, okay, let's just put things in perspective here. <laughs> and she was fine. She was nice. I guess she didn't ask for this. I mean, she's going to take it. They're trying to offer her money. But I go, what the scenario was... You're doing a profile on how hard it is to be this girl. I go, do you know how many male producers are more successful than her and have made more things, have more followers, are bigger than her? Why are you doing this profile on her and giving her $30,000? Why do you think that is? Is it? Answer me. And it's like, because, answer me, fictional person. Because she's a woman. It's like, so you're currently giving her a bunch of money for a trend that's happening all over the place while you're discussing how hard her life is. And you go, dude, if this was a dude, you wouldn't even hear about him. And there's nothing wrong with her, like I said. But you go, your narrative's stupid. And the last thing, instead of signing to a label, she decided to produce it herself. Wow. Every guy I know made 40 albums. Herself after getting discouraged by comments from executives who told her she would need to team up with well-known producer to make a name for herself. 
It was like, these are great demos, but now you need to get to work with some of the big producers. And from my point of view, I am the producer. Okay, if you're in the pop industry, that's how that game works. The producer is a big, huge part of the game, and you need they, the team. Whether they think your things are good, they have to team you up with big producers. The same reason when you're pitching a show, you need to bring these showrunners. You know, they, you see this showrunner signed onto this project is because you need to pitch these things as a huge package in pop. Obviously, that doesn't happen in the other. You weren't having these conversations at like Joe Blow's label. You're having these conversations at Interscope because that's how. But more importantly, when you say. And I, uh, I need to do this and they, I need to produce myself because these, you know, these re record labels are telling me that, you know, uh, my songs aren't quite good enough. If you were a guy, you wouldn't be in that room. Probably if you're starting out at a low, when you're like you said, when you're first starting, you wouldn't be at an, at a meeting with Interscope because you weren't allowed, you weren't able to get into the parties and hobnob with these guys, <laughs> weasel your way into a meeting. As like as if the other way around, they find you know out of the ten trillion bands or, that are dudes, which one of them it's like, I wrote actually wrote my first thing and I you know somehow got a meeting with Interscope and I showed up and they go you're signed and you go what and they go it's perfect you're perfect, that's the story. No, the men didn't get the meetings because they weren't hot for the sleazy record executive to try to drool over. <laughs> Again, use it. If I was a chick, use it. These you know. 60-year-old fucking sleazeball record executive, take it. But then to go like, I had to deal with the these places that promote it like this. This woman had to deal with them telling her songs weren't good. A guy wouldn't be in that room. If you look at music lessons, 50% uh, is men and 50% is women. They just play different instruments. Like a lot of times women do piano, men play guitar. Lots of women in music. Lots of women are great at music. The actual men pursue band culture because it's cool and the culture's cool and chicks like it. And it's honestly fun to be a fucking 16 year old, you know, meeting up with your four friends, touring in the road. It's like a cool thing to do when you're 16, just same way skateboarding is or whatever subculture people get involved in. But for girls, it doesn't have all those extra benefits. So you have to like it. And the thing is kind of crappy. I had a manager when I was younger, he was the manager for a. He was like a guy, he was the, like the Simon Cowell of Canadian Idol. But I remember he goes, if you don't hit it by your 25, it's done. And if you do hit it, it'll most likely go away. But as a dude, he goes, if, you're, if you pop off in your 20s, you know, a lot of times it goes away. But you'll have a pretty good fun run and you'll have that forever. And I was like, pretty realistic. I kind of think about that. I was like, realistic view of the whole thing. He's like, you'll make some cash. It'll be super fun. Chicks will like you. <laughs> we were like <laughs> 18 at the time. And I was like, oh, yeah, dude. Um, but the with girls, it's just like the same way that I, okay, I liked music, but it's not like I, you know, it was more that you just wanted that to be your identity. Like that whole world was cool, that whole thing. And the same thing is like, so with girls, all of the stuff attached to it sucks. Being in a band, you know, Living like scum when your friends are kind of, you know, unless you're really popping off. Living like shit while your friends are getting married and getting jobs and stuff like that. But getting drunk, partying, getting in trouble, all that stuff is more attractive. I, but the other way around, my ex was in fashion and she was like, she's a stylist and she did really well. But, she, you know, at times it's kind of like up and down. But the more like... She loved all of the stuff associated with it. 
the fancy parties, you know, that you go to the you go to the fashion week and you hobnob with the people and go to some fancy restaurant and they have or I hated that shit. So I'd go to those things and I'd go, man, I would have to love fashion so much because all of the stuff attached to it is annoying. A bunch of gay dudes yapping at you. <laughs> so that that world's so crappy that you're like, fuck, I would have to love fashion so fucking much. Whereas music for a dude, you don't have to love it that much because it kind of rules. Same with a lot of things, you know? Skateboarding, you maybe didn't love skateboarding. All your friends did and you go cause shit at the mall, go hang out, you know, whatever. Smoke weed, <laughs> like people, it's fun. So they always leave out all of the cultural aspects that are combined together. So before I move on, uh, it was Forbidden Clothes Week. I'm just going to do, I did the sponsor last week, but I just want to tell you about them again. Because again, it does help because if you go check it out, buy stuff, these guys have badass clothes. Like a lot of the shirts kind of look like the stuff that I would wear. Some some of them are uh, like kind of almost like Warp Tour or metal band like merch, which I think is kind of cool. Forbiddenclothes.com, promo code Ryan10. The guy's like a really cool guy. He's like this brown dude. He's funny, based. <laughs> so he's all, you know, we're, we talk on text and stuff like that. And so it's cool when you do sponsors, if people actually support them and buy the shit. And I always think this is the best way to think of sponsors in general. It's like, if you like me and you just want to support and you would buy shirts or underwear or whatever anyway, why not just like fucking do it this time and put my code in? It, if it's something you're like, I would never buy that, then don't buy it. <laughs> Pretty fair, right? right but everyone was very positive even on the video i saw i thought it was so cool because everyone goes like i mentioned this before but one of the top comments was like fuck yeah ryan's getting sponsors and i was like yeah i think we got a positive little crew so i'm hoping we're gonna do more dates i'm hoping to see some of you guys in philadelphia and new jersey um that would be very cool and then i'm gonna announce more dates uh coming up because places are starting to open up and there's comedy clubs that are around that have kind of figured out how to make it work to some degree. And thank you for listening to the boys cast patreon.com slash the boys cast peace. Are we gonna live forever? Are we gonna live forever?